0: In the last several messages, we've been talking about the grace of God, that unmerited favor that is given to us, not because we deserve it, not because we can earn it, no, but it is out of the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God that He gave it to us. And we saw how the grace of God was manifested in the Garden of Eden, that He dealt graciously with Adam and Eve. Not in accordance with their sin of rebellion and disobedience. But He slain for the first time in human history an innocent animal in order to cover them. And then He made them a promise of the coming Messiah. And they believed that by faith and they were saved. And then we saw in the next message how from Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead, dead, dead in trespasses and sin. And then He raised us up through His grace and by His grace. Then we saw how deadly legalism is versus the grace of God. You can never make it to heaven based on lists of do's and don'ts, but you'll make it to heaven based on the grace of God that is given to you and given to me. And then in the last message, we saw how the blood of Jesus Christ permanently, once and for all, transformed the throne of judgment to those who love Him, to those who obey Him, to those who follow Him, to become unto them the throne of grace. And that is why the writer said, let's draw near with confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to come to the throne of grace. That is the throne of judgment to others, but to us it is the throne of grace. So we come to this penthouse today. And... uh, Fitting, I believe, to conclude this series of messages by talking about the grace of giving. Well, let me start this way. (laughs) There is not a parent who is under the sound of my voice, right here on radio, whatever, who would not testify to the danger of giving their children everything, and never expect any form of gratitude, any form of thankfulness from their children. You would agree, right? Parents who will never train their children in developing the attitude of gratitude are going to raise up spoiled brats. I know, might as well put it bluntly, right? Parents who never teach their children how to express thankfulness To their parents and to God for the blessings that they are receiving every day. They will end up being monsters as adults. Parents who never impart the spirit of thankfulness to their children. They're going to end up with children who are discontented and unhappy. Who will grow up to be adults who are discontented and unhappy. That's a fact. Ah, but the same is with God's children. <laughs> it works the same way. With God's children, it works exactly the same. If we take and take and take and take from the grace of God, and never in a tangible way express our thankfulness to Him, then we, spiritually speaking, are going to be spoiled brats. Now listen, this is not even just a scripture, that's a scripture, be everything, or even my idea. Let me tell you how modern science is even coming to that conclusion. Social scientists are coming to the conclusion that this is the best thing for humanity. Listen to what Dr. Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, said. I quote, he said, money giving is a good criterion for a person's mental health. I did not say that, Dr. Menninger did. In fact, he said, generous people, he continued, are rarely mentally ill people. I want to say amen to that. <laughs> now, let me be upfront with you. This is not a popular subject. I know that. And I dare say that many of you are going to love this message. You know why? I know. There are the most generous people on the face of the earth in this congregation. I'm not flattering you. That's a fact. And I rejoice in that. But I can honestly tell you that some of you (laughs) are not going to be able to wait for the message to be over. Those of you hilarious givers, God bless you. I mean, you look around. We are a testimony to the whole world. People say, I met a, a very prominent businessman yesterday as I was running, and he's not from my church. He said, you mean you're building this building without debt? I said, yes, sir. He said, how, tell me how you do this. I said, well, there's some people got liberated by God, and I pray that he'll do that for you. <laughs> I am sure his pastor is going to love me. Now, those of you hilarious givers are going to shout throughout this message. You're going to shout amen all the time. But the tight wads, <laughs> oh man, you're going to mutter under your breath, I should have stayed home today. <laughs> I can hear you already. <laughs> Listen, preaching about the grace of giving, as far as the Word of God is concerned is just as important as preaching on prayer, as preaching on righteousness, as preaching on sin, as preaching on evangelism. In fact, you've heard me say many times that Jesus spoke more about the subject of money and material possession than any other subject. This is a sacred subject. This is a holy subject. And that is why I kept it to the end. Please listen carefully. If you can freely talk about your salvation... If you freely talk about your Christian activities and your Christian involvements and what you're doing and where you're going, but then you get epileptic seizure every time the subject of money comes up, (laughs) there's something wrong with your faith. And please don't leave here until you take care of it. Jesus said, where your money is, there is your heart also. He did not say, look... Where is your talk? That's your treasure. He did not say, where is your singing? There is your heart. He did not say, where your teaching is, or where your preaching is, there's your heart. He didn't say that. He didn't say, where your activities are, there you'll find your heart. He did not say that at all. He said, where your money is, there is your heart also. Now some of you are going to discover where your heart is today. You've been wondering all this time. And I have prayed all night for the Holy Spirit to do some heart transplant surgery today, (laughs) that you will find your heart. Let me tell you a story about a man who was a small-town pastor who had a member of his church, a farmer, who constantly bragged about, you know, how he's Holy Ghost-filled, Holy Ghost-filled. And finally, the pastor decided to pay a visit to his member. And he said to him, he said, "Uh, Mr. Smith, do you love Jesus enough to give the tithe? He said, Pastor, don't even say that. I love Jesus. Give him everything. At least I give him 50% of everything. He said, do you mean to tell me that if you have 100 horses, you're going to give 50? He said, absolutely, sir, I'll do it right now. He said, if you had 100 cows, would you give 50 cows? I said, yes, sir, absolutely. He said, well, as he leaned over very close to to his friend, and he said to him, he said, "Uh, if you have two pigs... Would you give God one? Upon which the man slammed back and said, Now, wait a minute, Pastor. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> 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 well, I hate to tell you, but the Apostle Paul was dealing with a church full of Mr. Smiths. <laughs> Whatever his name was. The Apostle Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church that was filled of people like that. Let me tell you a couple of things about the Corinthian church. It was a prosperous church. This church claimed to have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This church was bragging about their knowledge. This church was so proud of their biblical sophistication that they would not even want to listen to the Apostle Paul. They were boasting of how spiritual they are. Well, (laughs) the Apostle Paul was taking pledges for the work of the kingdom in Jerusalem. And he went to all the churches that he had planted, and he said, Look, he said... uh, I am asking for pledges to help in the work of God in Jerusalem. Well, guess what? The Corinthians returned the largest pledge card of all the other churches. Well, they said, that's befitting. Now, I'm telling you, this is kind of a rough translation, but you know what I mean. That's exactly what was going on. It's just in, I'm putting it in, in the vernacular, as it were. <laughs> ah, But when the time came to collect on the pledges, (laughs) they weren't giving. They weren't anywhere to be seen. They were quiet. Paul was not hearing from them. He said, what is going on here? You see, finally he writes to them. And again, this is a rough translation. He's saying, look, anyone can talk a big talk. Anyone can uh, try to impress people of how spiritual they are. But your pocketbook, Speaks louder than your words. That's exactly what he's saying. So, the Apostle Paul gently begins to teach them what? He's teaching them about grace giving. Not legalism. He is teaching them about grace giving. Here in Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is saying this. Listen carefully, please. He has talked about grace living, not only to the Corinthians, but to all of his epistles. He says, look, grace living and grace giving go hand in hand. Grace receiving and grace bequeathing, they got together. He is saying to them, those of you who have received the grace of God freely and without charge, you must be able to dispense the grace of God to others. I think the Apostle Paul is teaching them something very significant and is teaching us something very important. Now, just in case somebody will misunderstand me, let me emphasize it again. I've been doing it throughout the series of messages. What they're going to give is not a payment for salvation. They can never do that. It is not payback time, you know, God did this for you, did this for you, you do this for him. No, 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 no. He knew They knew they could never do that. But this is merely, thank you, Lord. This is a little gratitude. This is thanksgiving. That's what it is. And there's a world of difference when you give out of thankfulness, out of absolutely being overwhelmed with the grace of God and trying to buy your way into heaven, which you can't. It's very important there. Don't miss it. Paul is teaching them that grace giving is not the same as duty. That you feel, well, I've got to do this, you know, just as such. I've got to get this out of my, I mean, I know I've got to do. It is not even the satisfaction that you get out of giving. No. What is he saying? He's saying that it is an absolute privilege. It is an honor for anyone to be co-worker with the Lord Jesus Christ. To be co-laborer, to be partner with Jesus in the best, in the work of the kingdom. That's what he's saying. Let me ask you a question. Those of you businessmen and women, what if you get a phone call this afternoon from Bill Gates and he says to you, I want to start a company, and we're going to be partners. I'll throw in a couple of billions, and you put in a couple of hundred, two hundred dollars. How about that? Good. Is, that a good, is that good enough? Right. What would you do? you would be jumping up and down, right? Oh, come on, don't give me that. <laughs> <laughs> be screaming from the top of your voice. You can wait till next Sunday to come to church and bless the Lord, praise the Lord. Man, you'll be excited. But let me tell you something. The one who created all the billions in the world, the one who created all the gold in the world, the one who created all the silver in the world, he's saying, I want you to be my partner. I'm going to do all of the work. I just want you to be my partner. That's what Paul is saying here. This is a privilege and honor for us to give in partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace giving not legalism. So in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul deals extensively with what it means to practice grace giving. In fact, in these two chapters alone, the word grace is mentioned six times. Paul was teaching the Corinthians and us by using the example of others. People don't like that method of teaching. I got news for you. It's wonderful. If it makes you cringe, you got problems. Here's what he's saying. He said, let me tell you something, Corinthians. I know you're a bunch of braggers and super sanctimonious, and you're good talkers. Let me tell you about another church in Macedonia. Let me tell you about these folks. (laughs) He said, these folks are far poorer than you are, in much more miserable condition than you are, but let me tell you what they have done. So you can turn with me, please, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 three things. Number one, he is saying that grace-giving is God-honoring. Look at verse two. Number two, he's saying grace-giving gets God's blessings. Verse five. Thirdly, he's saying grace-giving is God's model. Grace-giving is God-honoring. How can grace-giving honor God? Well, listen, look at the verse. Here's what he said, verse two. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up richer generosity. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, <laughs> this is an unlikely formula <laughs> for giving. I mean, you got severe trials, you got an overflowing joy, okay, we'll understand that. But then you got extreme poverty. This is the most unlikely formula for giving. I agree with you. I do agree. We don't know, of course, much about these trials or the trials that they're going through, the Macedonians... But all we know, the word severe there, it doesn't mean just a tiny little problem. It means a horrendous trial. They're going through a tough time. Hear me right, please. When everything is going well in your life, and you give God the crumbs, you're really not honoring God. You're not honoring God. But when everything is blowing up at your face and you give to God sacrificially, you are absolutely honoring God, and God promised He will never forget that. That's what it says. Listen, I know the normal human reaction. I know because, despite of what you think, I am a human being. I know. Sometimes. I'm normal. The normal human reaction... And when we are facing trials in life, when we're facing difficulties in life, the last thing we want to do is to think of somebody else. When I am full of problems and have difficulties and trials, the last thing I want to do, think about are the lost people over there, right? It's the last thing. We say, oh man, I've got enough problem of my own. I just don't have time to think about somebody else's problem. My plate is full. I have more than I can. I've got more than enough of my fair share. I cannot help anybody right now. That's a normal human reaction. But we're not called to live in the normal human reactions, right? And people use these things as an excuse not to do anything. Now, I have some news for you in case you haven't heard them before. The news are these problems, we all have them. Every one of us. They said, oh yeah, but my problem more than his and more than hers. Let me tell you something. You don't know what his or her problems are. And you're making a terrible mistake when you think you're the only one who's got problems. (laughs) Problems is part of being in the human race. Problems are part of living. But don't use those problems as an excuse for not practicing grace giving. I heard about this wealthy man who was approached by a minister to ask him to give to a project and And the man looked at him and he said, now, why do you think I'm going to help you? He said, I'm not asking for myself. This is the work of God. Let me tell you about it. He said, let me ask you a question, pastor. He said, "Uh, do you know that my father is about to have his farm foreclosed? Did you know that my mother needs a surgery? And the minister was feeling terrible apologize. He said, I didn't know any of these tragedies happening to you. Sir, I'm so sorry. But the man wouldn't let go. He said, do you know that my brother was badly injured in a car accident and he needs reconstructive surgery? And do you know that my brother-in-law was going to go to prison unless he could come up with the money to make up for the shortage of his accounts by next Tuesday? He can imagine by that time, this pastor was just feeling sick in his stomach. And he's feeling that high. And he said, sir, I am so sorry. I apologize. I wasted your time. I did not know any of these tragedies happening in your life. But the wealthy man who has not finished his tarai yet, he just said, he said, let me ask you, pastor. If I'm not going to give a dime to any of my needy family, how can I give you money? (laughs) Excuses. Excuses. Got problems? Sure. Welcome to the human race. We all have problems. (laughs) But that's not the attitude of those who have received the grace of God. That is not the attitude who have freely received from His hand salvation, eternal life. That is not the attitude of those who know the Lord Jesus. And that's not the attitude of those who are recipient of the grace of God, that awesome grace. In fact, it is because of that grace that we have received so freely from His hand. It is because of of this grace. It makes us more sympathetic with other people when they are going through trials. It is because of that grace... That our trials make us more sensitive toward others. Our trials make us more understanding of the trials of others. Our trials give us the ability to minister to others with compassion. That's the difference of what the grace of God does. And that is why the Apostle Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians that out of the most severe trials... They're overflowing joy. <laughs> what have they got to be joyful about? <laughs> what have they got to be joyful about? When they got there in the midst of severe trials. Well, they had the joy in the fact that God's grace found them. And beloved, I want to tell you, that's enough. That's enough to make you joyful until you close your eyes in death. They had joy in the fact that they had been bought with the price of the blood of the Lamb. That they have been brought by Him out of darkness and direction that's going to hell into light that is taking them to heaven. They were so joyful that they are on their way to spend eternity in heaven. Oh, they had joy over their salvation. Let me tell you something. We watch too much television. And that is why we tend to forget the incredible joy of salvation that should make us shout, not just on Sundays, but every day. And that is why they had overjoyed in their giving. Please hear me right. If giving to the Lord is a burden to you, like paying taxes is a burden, you are missing out on the overflowing joy that comes from being a hilarious giver. If you only give so that you can fulfill some social obligation, you are missing out on the joy of what it means to be a hilarious giver. If you give to causes that you know that you and your family are going to benefit from, you are missing out on the joy that comes out of knowing that you are a hilarious giver. And Paul is saying the Macedonians gave in the midst of their trials, but they also gave out of their extreme poverty. Extreme poverty, poverty that you and I will never know. All their giving must have been truly sacrificial. Oh, they must have done away with things. They must have done away with food. They must have done away with necessities of life in order to give sacrificially. Their giving was not just the crumbs or what they did not want or what they did not need. Their giving was not just a tip. Their giving was not just a kiss off. No, there was a sacrificial giving. And that's what a large gift is all about. That's what a large gift is all about. A large gift has nothing to do with the size of the gift. It has everything to do with the sacrificial element in the gift. I was talking to a dear friend of mine earlier this week. And I guess the conversation kind of stuck in my mind. And we were talking about a family outside of this city, outside of this whole area. That they, friends, they know them, and I only know them by name. And they were talking about how they sold their company for billions, billions. My friend said, you know, they can afford anything in this world. But they could not buy that a tragic... A health situation in the family, they could never buy the cure for that. Grace giving is honoring to God. Grace giving gets God's blessing. Look at verse 5. I won't take too much time on the next two points. Verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. I think you would agree with me that Trials and poverty in themselves, they do not necessarily produce grace-giving. I mean, we agree on that. Even among Christians. Even among Christians. I think most often it does the opposite. It really does. Trials and poverty tend to make us more bitter and mean and tight-fisted and greedy. That's, that's just a fact of life. But the grace-giving by the Macedonians was rooted in the secret of God's blessings. They could see with spiritual eyes. They could comprehend things that the world cannot comprehend. And they wanted to give. And they gave first themselves and then their substance. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, and you're a philanthropist and all that, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to discourage you. But only when you give your life to Jesus Christ... Will you understand what it means to give grace-giving. Because grace-receiving produces grace-giving. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I beg you today, commit your life to Him. You may have been into churchianity, you may have been into religion, but you really have never received the grace of God. Say, today, God, give me that grace so that I may turn my life over to you. Because what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, book's written on that, and I'm not going to give you a a treatise on it. I'm going to tell you very simply, in the simplest of terms, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you have given your life over to Christ. That you have admitted you can't save yourself, you cannot forgive yourself, and you needed Him to forgive you and save you. It is surrendering of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. What it means to be a Christian. It means that you now being assured of eternal future... Simply put, it means that you have taken the most precious possession that you have, your soul, and gave it to him. Entrusted him with it. Believing that he is going to take care of you. Now here's the sad part. That literally brings me to tears. Listen to me carefully, please. The sad part is this. That there are some who are willing to commit their lives to Christ. Their most treasured possession, but not their money. Could it be that they prize money above their own souls? Can it be? Think about it. Can it be possible that the reason they are not trusting God with their giving is because they've never been saved? Paul said they first gave themselves to the Lord. Then everything else became just that. What? Things. Things. That's it. Grace giving is God honoring. Grace giving gets God's blessings. And thirdly, grace giving is God's model. Look at verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Listen, the giving of the Macedonian was unbelievable. It was incredible. The giving of the Macedonian was sacrificial. But you know what? It is nothing in comparison to what God gave. Nothing. What he gave is incomprehensible. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. He's saying before the incarnation, when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the presence of God the Father... He owned everything that the Godhead had owned. That's all of the galaxies, including that tiny little planet called Earth, with all of its gold, with all of its silver, with all of its diamond, with all of its stocks and bonds. He owned it all. And yet he laid it aside and became poor, bled to death on a cruel cross. Why? Paul said, for your salvation, for my salvation. Never in the entire history of the universe did anyone abandon so much in order to become so poor so that so many can become rich in grace. When you practice grace giving, you're only following the the model of your Lord Jesus. That's what you're doing. You're not comparing yourself with anybody else. Our greatest model for giving is the cross of Christ. Why I'm so burdened with this? I believe with all my heart. As I read the Scripture, I see there clearly that whenever God is getting to do something great, He always called upon His people to consecrate themselves. That is, to put away idols in their lives and to worship God alone. Read it in the Scripture. Whenever God is getting ready to do something great, he always called for his people to be consecrated and that's what exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to be the voice of God to call you for consecration because we know that God is about to do something great. With this I'm going to conclude. Frances Havergal who wrote this song, Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord for thee. She was a believer. She loved the Lord. She wrote a wonderful song she actually wrote some other songs too. People were singing that song for several years they've been blessed by it. Oh, I'll take my life and let it be lord consecrated. But there was a joy in her life that was missing. And this went on for a number of years at least 4 years according to her testimony. And the holy spirit of god was pointing his finger at a very exquisite very valuable very expensive jewelry collection in her possession. This not only was expensive and it not only had incredible value, but it became to Francis an idol. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, I can't use you until you take that idol off your life. Finally, she submitted to the voice of God and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, She opened her box and she took one piece that has family history and family connection that she wanted to pass it on. And then she wrapped the entire magnificent jewelry box. And she walked it down to the headquarters of CMS. That's the Anglican Church Missionary Society in London. At that time, the CMS Church Missionary Society took the gospel to the outermost parts of Africa and Asia. And the reason today we have the most committed and the most lively, biblically sound Anglican churches in Africa and Asia is because of the work of CMS. And, and God laid that on her heart. To give it to the lost, give it to the preaching of the gospel. And she said, I've never had greater joy than when I packed that box and handed it over to the officials of CMS. Now she was able to write The last stanza. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. I'm going to ask you a question only you can answer. Because only I can answer for myself. What are you withholding from God? What idol are you keeping? When His finger and Holy Spirit is bringing you under conviction again and again. What is it? Shall we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, you gave your all to me, and for me, you saved me eternally. You have given me all of your grace, not just a little bit of it, and I thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, whatever it is in my life, that you keep talking to me about, like you've spoken to Francis Hevergill to surrender it. May this be the day of decision to surrender it, whatever it may be, whoever it may be. All for Father, I pray for your strength and your power, knowing that I cannot do it alone. I seek your strength. I seek your power, that I may truly... Live the consecrated life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.